0: One of my favorite comics years ago. There was a web comic. It's not out there anymore, and I keep asking the author, like, I just want to, can I just buy the rights to these and publish them because they're so great? But it was like one FTE was the was the name of the, <laughs> the comic, and he had one where This person goes in, boss goes in and talks to big boss, and they said, Hey, I've done this generational needs analysis of my workforce, and I, you know, I know exactly what all they need from me. And big boss says, You have three people on your team. Why don't you just go ask them what what they need from you? And so. To your point here a minute, a minute ago, coming back to that relationship thing, I would have loved for the data personally to say, mm-hmm. hey, you know what? Relationship, relationship doesn't matter. Understanding doesn't matter at all. Just <laughs> right. go and focus on the tasks. And great, your are golden. Do the things. Because yes. that's the way that I'm wired. Unfortunately, it says that those things that I'm not good at are important parts for being a great leader. And so I have to stretch myself out of that when I'm meeting with George, who's on my team, or Joe, who's on my team. I have to spend time saying, hey, you said you were doing this thing last weekend. How did that go? Yes. Instead of just jumping right into I need to get your your take on this really quickly because I've got to turn around a deadline. That's that's hard for me, but I've got to work at it. And I would encourage all of you out there, if you are very relational, maybe you need to focus a little more on the the task piece and make sure people are being held accountable or the other side, depending on where you fall. Welcome
1: to Manager to Manager a podcast about the experiences of people leaders and how we can enable them to lead engaged, healthy, and high-performing teams. I'm Camaria Scott, your host, and I'm thrilled to have you join us as we learn, lead, and succeed together. Hello, friends, and welcome back to Manager to Manager. So today you are in for a treat. You have one of my favorite people. He is the author of a brand new book called Talent Scarcity, How to Hire and Retain a Shrinking Workforce. He is also a podcaster. He has a wonderful podcast called We're Only Human, and he is a Chief Research Officer of Lighthouse Research and Advisory. So He is here to tell you all the good things about how impactful managers are in the roles of teams and organizations. So welcome to Ben Eubanks.
0: Hey, my friend. I'm so glad to be here. Looking forward to a fun conversation.
1: I'm so glad to have you. Many of you all will not know, but my first podcast that I was a guest on was Ben's podcast. And so he gave me the bug. So it is an honor to be able to return the favor and have you as a
0: guest. You were tremendous on there. I've heard lots of great comments from people that enjoyed the episode so much. So I'll have to have you on again at some point to, to come back and do round two.
1: I, I love it. So I know I just gave them sort of a brief overview, but is there anything else you want to share with the listeners about yourself, your background, your research before we dive in?
0: Yes. So for all the managers out there, I don't want you to feel any um, angst because I was a former HR professional. And so I come from that background and I see it as one of the primary jobs of a good HR leader is to help enable and support managers to be great leaders for their people, right? Not just tell them all the no's and tell them all the things they can't do. So on behalf of all of the the community out there, that's what we should be doing. And if we're not doing that well, then you can let me know and I'll try to to make it right. But uh, yeah, that's my background. Now at a researcher, it's my job to understand what's happening in the workforce, understand what's happening with employers, and try to share insights, share information as I will today, not just a bunch of data points and stuff, but in practical ways, telling stories, bringing this to life so that we know the next best step takes. And I have so much fun doing this. It's a blast.
1: Ben was under strict advice not to bring, as he said, the nerdy research stuff without some good stories. So those will be folded in as well. So, okay. So, but I do want to start with some research because I think being a manager is such an important role in an organization. It's, it's honestly pivotal. Can we just jump into from the research that you've done? Is there anything that just tells us, listen, this is an important role. And when we get it right, it can really impact our teams.
0: Yes, absolutely. So I think we can go in a lot of directions with that. I'll give you a couple off the top. So we did a big study last year of a couple thousand global workers. So this wasn't, you know, Ben calls three people and asked in their opinions. This is thousands <laughs> of global workers. And we asked them specifically about how they feel about their leader. We said, mm-hmm. does your manager understand you? Do they support you? And what we found was if someone said their manager supports them, they were much more likely to say they were happy in their job, the company is open and transparent, so there's really interesting things about that manager relationship that bleed over into how they feel about the company, their job, all those things all together. One of the big things that stuck out to me, though, is on the flip side, you said, you know, maybe the managers that aren't doing as well or aren't meeting the needs of those people, if someone said, I don't feel supported by my direct manager, they were twice as likely to leave, not at some vague point far in the future, but in the next 30 days. So there's a big impact on how satisfied people are in their jobs.
1: I love how you blame that out because I think a lot of times when we hear the Gallup research around the manager has 70% of the variance over an employee's engagement and influence over their, again, their retention. We miss the why of that part, which is because of the relationship and the proximity of the day-to-day. And so I think what you explained there is just like, listen, I see you every day. This relationship is a pivotal one. And it, that's the one that then helps people understand whether or not the organization is right for them. So, and I think you mentioned there was another study as well that sort of also validated this that kind of showed that the way they felt about their manager influenced how they felt about the organization.
0: Yes. So when in the data we see that when someone says they their manager supports them, they feel like the company is more open and transparent, they score very high on our belonging index, which measures acceptance, respect, and appreciation they feel at the company. Mm-hmm. So there's some really interesting ties to those things as well. And one of the ones that really stuck out to me and I know you'll appreciate this is when you work for a manager that really gets you, right? Mm-hmm. They don't just know your job title or your pay rate or your list of to-dos for this week, but they know what makes you tick. They know the kind of tasks that bring joy to your life right those kind of things when you work for a manager that understands you you work for you're much more likely to say that manager actually supports you and the flip mm-hmm. side was it stunned me because if the, someone in the study said my manager doesn't really get me they don't mm-hmm. understand me there was statistically almost zero chance of them saying that manager supported them at all like not mm-hmm. like every day day they're support no like at all they, they said you don't get me you don't support me I don't feel it and so that plays a pivotal role in this because when you think about how we teach people to be managers, it's yeah. okay, you gotta make sure you're meeting them once a week and here's the very regimented and structured and all those things. And you forget, oh yeah, they're people and we need to treat them like people and we need to understand who they are. Yeah. And oh yeah, they're, you know what, their dog died and we need to have a little heart or whatever else, all the little things. We, as leaders, that's hard for us to do, but it's also really important for us to do if we want that person to feel like we do care about them and to make them want mm-hmm. to stick around long-term.
1: It makes me think of that saying, you know, you can miss the forest for the trees where we do have these procedural things and we do tell people we need to have a one to one, you know, at least once a week or you need to do this, this or that. And here's the form for it. And here's the way. And you can still do all of those things and not really know who's working for you. And it reminds me of a story. Where in one of the sessions I facilitated a long time ago, we were sort of talking about how a manager can use recognition, how you can use what you know about someone to give them meaningful recognition. And In my story, my manager knew that I had a young son who loved this restaurant that gave wiki sticks, these little candle wicks that were colored. And we had worked on this project for forever. And at the end of it, she was like, you know, I know you've been working really hard on this project. So here's a gift card to the restaurant. And I hope it gives you some time back with your son. And I was, I was so touched. So I'm telling this story in class and one of my manager goes, I would, I would never ask about someone's personal life. And I was, I was, it it was an interesting revelation. I was so glad that he had the vulnerability to share that because it gave us the opportunity to open up a dialogue and talk about why you might need to gather information to understand people and to relate to them and ask about, you know, how was your son's baseball game or something of that nature and what what it meant kind of to be on the receiving end of that. So I love that you have data because I do support a lot of managers who are data driven. So I like that there's a little bit of data that I can give them that says the data says
0: you should know your team. (laughs) I will admit right here that that is not Uh-oh. my natural bent though. Okay. okay. I am okay. very much a, here's the vision. Here's the things we have to do to accomplish that. Like, let me know if it would help you need whatever else, but I am not a, Hey, come I'm so, it's Monday again. Yay! How, <laughs> how, how was your weekend? And Oh, what? You, like, I don't usually spend time on those things because that's not how I'm wired. Right. And so I have to get out of my comfort zone a little bit to do those things. And the other, the other piece of this, I think is important is that every single one of our people are different, right? They're people. And so some of them are going to be a little bit more, Hey, you know what? This is work. Hey, I'm, I'm actually good. I'll, I'll catch you later if I got a question, but I'm, I'm good. I don't, I don't need you to like dig into all those things. Cause I've had people in the past that were a little more private or a little more, whatever, you know, protecting yeah. their personal life. That's fine. I don't have any issues with that. But one of the things that stood out in that study is when it comes to knowing your people, mm-hmm. one of the things we asked was what is the right frequency for your manager to connect with you? You mentioned the one-on-ones, right? What mm-hmm. is the right frequency for that? And it's so funny because I talk to leaders like, I need to know the exact number. It's two per month or whatever it is. (laughs) We want it like a formula. And it's more art than science, actually. What we find in the data is it depends on what that person expects. So we asked them, What do you want? And then what does your manager do? And we looked at how that affected their satisfaction. And if someone said, I really want it on a weekly or monthly basis, but I'm getting it quarterly or once a year, satisfaction was down in the dumps. But if they said, I really want that to happen on a monthly or quarterly basis, and it happened on that frequency, they're much more likely to say that they feel supported by that leader. So those sort of things, you have got to know your people. Some of them are like, I need to know, you know, that maybe they're 20, 25 years old, they just got out of school and they don't know mm-hmm. what the heck they're doing. They may need to know a couple of times a week. You're on target, you're off target, yes. who's the things you need to fix. Someone who's been doing this for 20 years, check with them when they need that, or whatever yep. the frequency preference preferences. That's the real thing that we found in that. Though it's not about like the um, it's not about the spacing of that time, it's about the mm-hmm. sync to sync with their personal preferences.
1: That's really insightful and I really I like how you mentioned that cuz I think the translation to that is it's there is no one size fits all. And even when we are training managers and we're trying to help them kind of build a habit or routine around what we're doing as a rule of thumb we tell them once a week. But what you're saying is first you need to ask people what they need from you. What their expectation is, figure that out, have that conversation and then meet that. So somebody might say to you, listen, I need to see you once a week when I have questions, or I need to see you a couple of times, or actually we don't even need to have anything scheduled. I might just need you to be available when I ping you and say, Hey, I have a question, but meeting that expectation that the situational leadership of it all is the part that makes a difference between almost like a good manager and a
0: great manager. I think so. I really think so. And uh, there's probably a a bit of untraining to do depending on the last experience that person had with a manager. Mm-hmm. We had we had a group of employees years ago that we had we had won this contract immediately overnight. These 40 new employees came to work for our company. And if I'm being completely honest, we probably wouldn't have hired many of them if they'd gone through our hiring process because we were really careful about the kind of people we picked. So like, well, we have them now. So let's really treat them well, try to get them folded into who we are, how we work, those kind of things. And when I went and met with these people, there was mistrust. There was Mm. skepticism. They're like waiting for me to turn around, stab them in the back was kind of the sense that I got from talking to these people. Cause the last leadership they had had was let's cut everything to the bone. You're getting no increases, no bonus. You get nothing from us. Mm. You be glad you have a job was kind of the way they had treated them. And so I had to work to undo all of that feeling they had with, okay, this isn't just a one time I'm going to, I'm here to trick you and make you like us. And then we're going to you know get you later. (laughs) They realized over time that that, that was a different, we we're going to treat them differently. We had a different kind of culture and the values we had as a company,
1: mm-hmm. but it
0: wasn't an overnight thing. And it took time to, to disconnect them from how they felt about their previous leaders because they expected, right? We're, we're wired to guard ourselves and protect ourselves. And once we had gotten over that, we really got the best out of each of those people to bring it back to the conversation we were already having.
1: The theme that I hear in what you're saying is the most important part of managing people is the relationship part. I mean, there are results. We're responsible for results too. We're responsible for whatever, what did you think we're supposed to build for the organization? But a large part of the team's success is how we make them feel about their relationship to us as leaders, and then how we make them feel about their relationship to the organization. And we we all have different approaches to it. So if, if I, I might be the manager, to your point, that goes in and says tell me about your weekend and yay, it's Monday. But you might be the the manager who says, I want to make sure that you have the best work experience. And so tell me how I can do that. And both of those are okay. So I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about anything that you've seen that talks about how a manager might leverage their individual strengths to build those relationships that that, that are needed for people to feel connected.
0: First thing probably in that is just being aware of your your style. You and I talk about this because you and I know our styles a little bit. We want to know if someone out there is listening to this and you're like, I'm not sure which one of those I am, take a little bit of time to self-reflect a bit because that knowing who you are and where you are can help you figure out how to adapt that. What's really interesting is we see, you look at disc training and the other like personality styles, things like that. It's really easy to say, oh, well, you're one of those. So you can never do this whole group of things because you're not good at it. And the truth is even someone who is more introverted, can be great at sales, but maybe they're not great at going out there and shaking 50, 50 hands and many 50 mm-hmm. people new today, but mm-hmm. they're really great at building a relationship with someone where six months from now, they're gonna buy you know a multimillion dollar MRI machine or something, right? Yes. It's very relationship oriented. It's not about the volume. And so I think management management is the same way. You need to know where you are, you need to know what your skills are and how, you, how those fit to the kind of people you're, you're serving. And once you know that, and you've done some of the things we're talking about here, where you really get to know the people in front of you, that allows you to adapt to fit the people that you're you're trying to serve. One of my favorite comics years ago, there was a web comic. It's not out there anymore, and I keep asking the author, like, I just want to, can I just buy the rights to these and publish them because they're so great? But it was like one FTE was the was the name of this, <laughs> the comic, and he had one where this person goes in, boss goes in and talk to big boss, and they said, Hey, I've done this generational needs analysis of my workforce, and I, you know, I know exactly what all they need from me. And Big Boss says, you have three people on your team. Why don't you just go ask them what what they need from you? And so to your point here a minute minute ago, coming back to that relationship thing, I would have loved for the data personally to say- Hey, you know what? Relationship doesn't matter. Understanding doesn't matter at all. Just go <laughs> right. and focus on the tasks. And great, your goal do the things yes. because that's the way that I am wired. Unfortunately, it says that those things that I'm not good at are important parts for being a great leader. And so I have to stretch myself out of that when I'm meeting with George, who's on my team, or Joe, who's on my team. I have to spend time saying, "Hey, you said you were doing this thing last weekend. How did that go?" Yes. Instead of just jumping right into, I need to get your, your take on this really quickly because I've got to turn around a deadline. That's that's hard for me, but I've got to work at it. And I would encourage all of you out there, if you are very relational, maybe you need to focus a little more on the, the task piece and make sure people are being held accountable Or the other side, depending on where you fall. Yes,
1: well, so I was just going to say that because it takes a bit of, first of all, it takes a bit of humility to be able to say the relationship stuff isn't where I naturally kind of show up. And the reality is, there are a lot of people i've coached and trained to develop a lot of people that that's not their natural space and i always say that managing people really is the balance of balancing relationships and results and most of us lean one side to the other and that's a, a result of our natural strengths and what we bring to the world so it's not good or bad that you you know come out of a different corner as much as it's an awareness that says maybe i do have to put a little bit more of concerted effort to bring myself toward the middle and I I personally am more relationships than results. I am the person who you should never give me your project plan. Let <laughs> me <gonna> be honest. <laughs> but I am going to see how those kids were doing. And so and so I know that's a, a place where I have to grow and I have to kind of stay on top of that as well. And so I think the vulnerability to be able to say none of us comes to leading people perfectly. I think it was you who even said we all start off terribly, actually. And then we have to grow into being better people leaders. And part of that is that assessment to say, okay, where am I already strong? What am I bringing to this role? And then like, what might else I need to either shore up, maybe I develop or find somebody else that has that skill that can balance me out and can help me in that way.
0: There was a, a great book I read years ago called The Myth of Fit. Yes. And the, there's this myth that, oh, you, you bring someone into a new management role and they either fit or they don't. And the whole premise of that book is the whole idea that this, they fit or they don't is a myth, right? It's work. Anyone out there who stepped into a leadership role, you know, wow, they didn't tell me a lot of things. And even when they did tell me things, they didn't tell me the important things. I didn't yeah. know all the, you know, the critical pieces of this. And so I'm completely with you on that. That really is a, a challenge that we have as we're transitioning people into those, into leadership roles and helping them develop over time It's we've, we've got to help them with those pieces of it. And it's sometimes it's hard to do that. Honestly, it's difficult to, to make that happen. That's why I love telling the stories about how I completely screwed stuff up sometimes and things like that, because it, it helps to say, we all know that we were not, you know, no one is born and they said, the doctor goes, oh, it's a leader, right? That, that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. We have it to develop not. that over time. We have to build those skills. And one of the things you and I were talking about before we started recording, even was years ago, um, Yahoo had this experiment where someone could kind of try before you buy. As a manager, if someone was an individual contributor who's doing a great, great job and they're like, hmm, I'm curious about that manager thing, they could try it for a period of time. They could have uh, go through interviews. They could give feedback to some, some teammates. Like They could do a couple of those things, like training wheels for managers. Yes. And then after a period of time, they could say, that was great. I love it. I'm all in. I want to find a leadership role or not what I expected. Mm-hmm. Can I step back to my individual contributor position? And there was no weirdness, there was no strange uh sort of s- feelings towards that person. For most of us who work in a company, though, where if you make that commitment, you've got to stay in that job and you're no or you leave. Yes. You leave the company. And There's, that's a that's tough.
1: And when we bring people in, it's hard, even though we do try to give them a real realistic job preview, which kudos to Yahoo for trying to do that because. There are so many things that you just don't realize until you're in the role. And and then it is very eye-opening. So I think giving people the opportunity to try it and to self-select out is really important because this, like I always say, managing people is a full contact sport. You you are in the game. And for people to have the opportunity to say, actually, I would rather focus on my own work, my own projects. Um, Maybe I'll lead a project, maybe I'll volunteer, maybe I'll do other things. But the reality is that, you know, managing of the 1980s is gone. None of us is sitting in a corner office, you know, looking through the glass at people who are working in cubicles. We are working too. This is my job plus that job. So I think people do have to have the opportunity to say, maybe this isn't for me. And maybe I would rather do something else. And I think we have fewer people who then get into the role and feel like it's not a good fit for them and, and don't have the ability to get out of it once they realize that's something they wanna
0: do. That reminds me, um, years ago, I travel a good bit for work, right? I speak at conferences and everything else. And my wife, man, you're going to this place, you're going to that place, like that sounds, hey, travel is glamorous for people that don't do it. You know, when you're traveling <laughs> yeah. for business, you're like, I'm sitting in an airport, and get the flight delayed again, it's 1030 at night, I just wanna be in a bed somewhere, right? It's not, not really that glamorous. And I think management may be the same. So you're, as you're saying here, you know, people who are outside looking in, like, oh, well, you get to make all the decisions, and you get this control, and you get—you know what? It's glamorous until you get in. You're like, oh wow! You know, yeah, I have to sludge through a bunch of stuff to get to some of these other things I get to do that may be more enjoyable. And so that's not to say it's not—it's not a important and worthy type of work, but it's not always glamorous and joyful and something yeah. that you wake up in the morning like I can't wait to go and be a manager today. And yeah,
1: no. <laughs> someone's got to no. do it. Someone's, someone's got to do it. it. It's
0: a big responsibility, and. You also at the same time have this opportunity to impact people and influence people as we've talked about through the whole conversation today in ways that a lot of other people never could Yeah, you have that opportunity to influence them where when I think back 10 years ago, if I was listing the most important people in my in my life, the manager that I had at that time would be in the top five people the most important people in my entire life.
1: And it's funny because I was going to ask you like, what makes it worth it? So if you think about an experience that, that makes it worth it, has there been like any moment where you were interacting or something happened and you were like, this is why I do this.
0: Goodness. You know, I don't think I'm that great of a leader to have had, oh. <laughs> I probably, probably have had some moments where I'm like, that was really cool. I'm glad that worked out that way. I I'm have gonna... seen some other people that do it really well and watch them live it out. And they're the ones that I'm like, I want to be you one day when I grow up because that really? is incredible. Yes.
1: Oh, see. And I so I'll tell you, I'll I'll tell you. And I and I don't always think it's the grand moments, right? Cause I think when we talk about manager versus leader, I always feel like they're one in the same. Like a manager can be a great leader. And sometimes the things that you do aren't always these, you know, large scale, you've moved an organization as much as it's, it's, it's as much as it's you've helped change the trajectory of someone's life. And I'll tell you, you know, there's someone on my team. Who was on one of my teams, and I could clearly see she was in the wrong role. I could see the skills that she had were not a fit for what we had her doing. And I would just talk to her, and I would be like, One day I'm going to see you developing, leading, organizing a large conference. I don't know that this thing that we have you doing is the right thing because I could see that she had this gift for making an experience come to life. And so I would just kind of plant that seed in her. And then, you know, I left the organization first. And then she left the organization, but she pinged me and she she let me know that she moved into a role that was more event management than what she was doing. And that was it for me, knowing that I kind of had helped plant that seed in her that I see in you this talent that you should be nurturing, this natural gift. And then to see her go ahead and realize that and start to grow in that direction, I was like, that's why I do this. I do this because I know that I do know I have the potential to help people be the best they can be. And I think that's the magic of a good manager. The power of a good manager is someone who can look at their team and say they have so much potential and they can't be in their current role. You know, I'm not saying you should tell people to change jobs, but- (laughs) But you can bring out the best in people and have them do some of the greatest work that they're proud of. When you have that gift or you are in the position to be able to do that, it's such a special thing.
0: I completely agree with that. As you're talking through this, I'm like, okay, maybe I have had some examples. See? <laughs> maybe I have. Okay. Um, the very first person I, I ever hired on my team, I participated in a lot of interviews and everything else as an HR leader, but the first person I brought onto my team ever I brought her on because she had a certain background that made me think she was going to be a fit for the work that we were doing. Even though she had never worked in HR, she was not even going for, she was getting a degree in, degree in accounting, right? She was not even going for this. And in spite of that, I, I said, think this is a good safe bet for us to take and ended up working out incredibly well. She was a wonderful performer as a college student, right? She's learning the ropes of work and at the same time, getting a chance to, whatever crazy stuff comes out of my head, she's trying to make sense of all that. And it was so much fun for me to spend time with her and say, hey, what do you see yourself doing once you get into the, you know, the real workplace? This is your college job, every, you know, when you get your real job, what are you gonna do? And then finding ways to say, hey, hi accounting team. She's got five hours this week. I know you're working on this budget thing because she just sit in and watch how you're doing that and giving her chances to start learning and building those skills, things like that. That aligns with a lot of the, that's funny cause I was doing that years ago before I ever started touching the research. Yes. But that sort of thing aligns a lot with the data. When We ask employees how they want to learn. The number one way they want to learn isn't through yet another course or piece of content. It's mm-hmm. experientially. I want to learn by getting in the middle of it and seeing it and experiencing it. And so in this case, it was sit alongside someone who's doing this thing that you really care about. Make a lot of notes. see the inner workings of it. Before someone says, hey, why don't you go do that as a task in your work where you're judged on it and you've never once even seen it happen. Yeah. So that kind of thing, I, I love doing kind of uh, there's a, I'm forgetting the name of the book right now, but they talk about sculpting the job around the person. And that's mm-hmm. what it really comes down to.
1: First of all, I love that we can talk books that we read. The nerd in me is so happy. I just finished reading a book called People Development, The Best Part of Leading a Team. And in it, there is a point about, you know, how do you go about developing people and what can you do? And when I read it, the one of the things that stood out to me is development is one of the things that as a, as a manager, I can control. There's a lot. And I don't think people always realize this just because we're managers doesn't mean we have a lot of control over a lot of your organizational experience. Sometimes I can't give you that raise that you want, but I can give you the gift of development. I, and that's not always sending you to some, you know, conference or to your point of training class but I can find projects for you. I can connect you to people. That's something because I have a high locus of control and I want to be able to really own my team experience. It makes it more important to me to be able to say, I know that I can give you this gift. So what you just said is a perfect example of, you know, there's a lot that we as managers, we cannot control, but being able to give someone the gift of development and helping them find their way is one of the things we can give them.
0: Absolutely. I love that.
1: So now you did say there was a time when you got it wrong. So in the spirit of vulnerability, yeah. what's, what's a time when you maybe got it wrong?
0: I found out very early with that individual I was talking about a minute ago that I love being able to cap vision, Like this is where I want us to go. This is where I see us being long-term and then doing a really terrible job of actually farming out the tasks and things to make us get to that, to delegate okay. those things. Okay. Um, so in that case, like she was, she was always like, Hey, what else can I do? What else? Can I do? And I, I don't know if it was because I didn't know what to give up or I really liked having, you know, the work I enjoyed, the work I was doing, but I knew I couldn't do all of that and do some of the other planning, some of the other strategic stuff we needed to get accomplished. Mm-hmm. And so it was really hard for me to delegate. And even now, that is the thing that I, I struggle with is what can I give away? And I know I want to do that, but it doesn't matter. And they may do it differently and I'm going to be okay. And being able to hand some of those things off, so that I can focus on other things has always been a challenge for me and it probably always will be. Like, and that's that's just one of the things I like things done the the way that I like them done. And I've got to be careful not to check in 84 times and be the mm-hmm. micromanager <laughs> and <laughs> And did you also do this? And oh, did you forget that? And all right, once I've taught them, I need to wait for the result and see that, and then I can coach the result. But I can't coach every single step of the process, or you, they become numb to any anything you share with them. So that's been a really hard lesson for me to learn. And if that resonates with someone else out there, virtual high five to you. We, we've got this, all right? Just keep keep on keeping on.
1: Me, it resonates with me. <laughs> okay, I'll tell you, I, I've had to learn, like my my. Rule of thumb of how to teach myself is it's not mission critical; it's dealer's choice. Ooh. So if it <laughs> if it's not going to change the quality or impact of what we're doing, she who did it gets to decide how it gets done, um, or he. And that has been my reminder to take my hands off of things and be like, let somebody else do it. And it's hard because you know we we got to be managers by being good at what we're doing and so now to be in a position where we have to say i have to let somebody else be good even though i'm still responsible for the outcome and it's so much easier for me to just do it i have to let it go
0: they going to so, be good in their way right they be and, good in yes, their way.
1: and they're going to be good in their way so dealer's choice is what i tell is
0: what i tell myself when i see something i've got to remember that i think that's a that's a really incredible insight and there are that allows you the freedom to say you know at this time i really do need to step in because it impacts something on this level that I can't just point the finger and say well that it was the, on them if it's that important I need to make sure that my hands are in it or I need to make sure that I'm leading that or some other way because otherwise I'm outsourcing the responsibility of that and I can't do that
1: so yeah because, because at the end of the day if it if it crashes I have to step in and be like I yeah that was me yeah. <laughs> I did it so I I definitely am like if it's not mission critical dealer's choice, if I think it's going to, you know, cause some unexpected outcome that we're not happy about, then I might. And even then I don't, I won't tell them how to do it. I'll just be like, let's think about this a little bit more, but it is, it's hard because we know we have all this experience from doing it ourselves that we want to impart upon people and we have to give them space to grow. So, so I I totally get that. I want to just perhaps tie in one more story because what I'm getting from this and and why I'm so glad we're able to share with people is that when you have a good manager, there's just the potential of what it can be, what it can bring to an organization, bring to a team is limitless. And yes. I think a lot of what we learn about managing is from people who have managed us. I think you mentioned you had a great manager early on. Yes. Is there any particular situation with someone who managed you that stood out, that became a model for how you then decided to lead people?
0: So if you are okay with it, I'll give you one or two snippets from some of those managers that I've had, but I'll yes. give you an example from someone who didn't even manage me. I got the watch I love them, it, and it was incredible. So. Um, Shout out to Christine, number one, most incredible boss ever had. She was really great. The thing that she did really well is here's where we're going as a team and here's where I see you playing a pivotal role in that. And she helped me to understand that piece of it. She was way better than me at delegating. And she was way better than me. It was like a superpower at knowing what was going on. I mean, she can look at someone and say, hey, that person needs, needs you to go and talk to them for a little bit today. Like, I'd look at them like, what, what do you mean? How? What signal do they give you? Was there a secret hand code or something? She's like, no, nope, something's off with him. I don't know what it is. Go go, close the door, have a conversation with him. And there would be something there every time. So she was amazing at those things. I still have no idea where that like six cents came from, but she was so good at that kind of stuff as a leader. All right. I worked for someone who was a literal war hero. Okay. He was a wow. veteran. He was an incredible leader, service disabled veteran. And one of the things that I learned from him that I have cared with me to this day, lots of them, but one one of the key things about leading a team is I've got your back no matter what happens. If I put you in this role and if I'm supporting you, I support you all the way to the wall. If you do something, in, in his case, <laughs> it was like, you do something where I had to lose that trust because you've done something that you know is outside the bounds, like that's it, that's done. But until that moment, anything, I will go to bat for you. I will back you up 100%. And you can always count on me when you're, when you're in trouble. And that was, that was really special. Cause there were times where I might've made a decision that was a little borderline and right. I can look to him and he'd say, Hey, I trust you. And that's so powerful to have a leader that, that looks at you and says that, and really means it not just like, I trust you, but <laughs> in case it goes bad and then you're, you're out, you know? So that was really powerful for me. So the very first HR job I ever had, I was working uh, for a uh, organization, nonprofit, that provided direct care for the developmentally disabled, okay? So we had a, about 650 employees. Turnover was about 50 to 60% a year. Wow. It was ridiculous, just constant treadmill. And as the new person on the HR team, guess whose job it was to process all the new hires and all the terminations. So it was this <laughs> just constant flood of paperwork. And sometimes you get the same person's paperwork to hire them and fire them the same day, okay? Wow. So it was just this, this wild. So I started looking at, I said, we've got all this information. None of it's actually digitized. So I started going through and building this spreadsheet to say, people are quitting. Why are they quitting? How long have they been here? Who's their leader? Trying to understand if there are any interesting things we could do. Because when I got there and even a year later, that 50% turnover number just was everybody knew it, but no one knew what to do about it. Mm. And so when I started looking at it, I said, hey, look, here's some interesting trends in this. And there's something going on because in this one district where the most challenging patients are that we're serving, these clients that have the the most difficult life circumstances, that turnover is about 20%. And other places in the business, it's like 70, 80%. What's going on over here? So I went and spent time over there. And the leader there, his name was Antoine. And Antoine was just incredible. And so I was like, I'm going to watch what he's doing, try to copy some of his, copy, paste some of his ideas and things into other areas of the business, because this could serve us really well. And the first thing that I saw, he had a new person coming on. This person's making $7.50 an hour about to go to do direct care for someone who has a lot of difficulties. It's a very strenuous, stressful job. And he greets this person like they're the most important person in the building. I'm so glad you're here. I've been really excited for you to start with us. We have some some amazing plans to develop you and grow your skills. And I, I can't wait to see how you succeed here. Just remember, I'm here for you if you need anything. My my door's open, but also like emotionally, I'm open. If you need something, just let me know. It is my job to make sure that you're taken care of so you can do your best work here. Can't wait to see you succeed. And I'm listening to him talk to this person like that. I'm getting chills right now. So I'm listening to him talk talk to this person. I'm thinking, I'm going to quit my job and go work for Antoine doing this other (laughs) stuff because he cared so much. And again, that's maybe I put an extra emphasis on it because I don't have that same bent towards really seeing the person and caring and being, you know, emotionally tethered to people. That's not my focus as a leader. Mine's more on the tasks and the guidance and the vision, but hearing him talk to that person reminded me that it doesn't matter how important, right? How, how much you get paid, like all those kind of things we get caught up in, but a great manager cares about everyone as people, as people. And I learned that from Antoine.
1: That is beautiful. I mean, that's an important life lesson. And Hearing you talk about it so passionately, I will say, I, I still think that we bring our strengths to every situation and the fact that you're so moved about it. I don't know. It tells me that you might care about people.
0: <laughs> you I care. Know, there I might care. be some
1: emotion in there
0: somewhere. Um, okay. If you've got two minutes, I'll tell you my funny story about why people are so important. And it's like my penance lesson. I got, two, got minutes. Tell- okay. two minutes. We have two minutes. Yeah. Okay. So. <sighs> this is my reminder of why people matter so much okay? yes. because I get caught up in this stuff. So a couple of years ago, we were headed to the hospital. My was about to have a baby. I'm freaking out. Okay. Driving 900 miles an hour to get to the hospital and get us there safely. Yes. They get in, they, they get her all set up and they strap this thing to her stomach called a tocometer that's measuring the mm-hmm. strength of her contractions. We've already admitted in the conversation today, I'm the data nerd in the group. So I'm <laughs> over here watching the little readout on the screen, like the little waves and graphs and stuff. And I'm just fascinated. And behind me, I hear my wonderful wife say, "Ooh, that was a tough one. I said, well, actually on the screen, it didn't look that big. It was kind of like a, <laughs> okay. She couldn't get up at the moment to kill me, but she maybe, maybe have wanted to. And I tell that story because it's so easy for me to, to get caught up in the data and the numbers sure. Heard that today, but behind every single data point this is person a person Right? Uh, Is their, their their dreams, their their family, their life, their goals and career, like all those things are wrapped up into any specific data point we're looking at those things. And it's my reminder, I tell that story on myself to remind myself, I can't just get caught up in that and forget that all the people are behind it, because otherwise, I'll never be as effective as I need to be as a leader. And I hope anyone listening out there, regardless of whether you fall on the very personal, social side of leadership, or you fall on the, I'm a, a numbers person, I've got the data planned, out. I've got the next six months to the to the T in a spreadsheet. Whichever one of those sides you fall on, it's really a little bit of both. And so my encouragement to you to hopefully not have an embarrassing story like that to tell, but also <laughs> to lean into those things that you're not as good at because it's gonna make you a better leader over.
1: Oh, Ben, you are a gift. You are. <laughs> um, I, I think anybody would be just lucky to have you as as their leader and manager. So I truly believe that. And for those of you who are listening, you know, this has been a wonderful episode. I hope that you took away from this the just the influence you can have over someone's life as their manager and why it's so important for those of us in the role to just honor what it is and to know that it's okay to be vulnerable. You can come at this from either leading from a place of strength, from a relationship perspective, or results in data, but we can all still get there to be the leaders and managers that people need. So I hope you learned something from this episode. I hope you take a moment to self-analyze, talk to your manager friends. It's okay to talk about where you may not be strong and how you plan on getting better in the role. Check in with us. Ben, if anybody wants to reach out to you for more wonderful insights, either about data or lessons learned along the way, how can they do that?
0: Hey, I'm on LinkedIn. You search Ben Eubanks. You can quickly find me. My kids do this all the time. You can Google me. Uh, It's out there. (laughs) Apologies to all the other Ben Eubanks in the world, but that's the easiest way to find some of the work that I'm doing, some of the new research, things like that. And uh, this has been so much fun, my friend. I'm honored to have a chance to join you. And I love hearing from you. I've learned a lot of things in this conversation as well.
1: Oh, wonderful. Thank you all for listening. And we will see you next time. I hope you enjoyed the episode and learned just as much as I did. If so, I encourage you to share it with a manager in your community. And if you also happen to be in the HR community, I wanted to share that Ben has an event coming up called HR Summer School that aims to educate, connect, and inspire those of us who do this work. It's going to be a wonderful event and it's free of charge. You can find the registration link in the show notes along with Ben's book and the link to his podcast. So there's lots to get from this episode. It's like the gift that keeps on giving again. I hope you enjoy it and we'll see you again next time on manager to manager.